Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains are carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He utters his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we want to confess what we just spoke. You said to us, be still and know that I am God. We heard those words that came out of our own mouths as we recited them. We ask that today, as we are gathered together, you will show us in a deeper, wider, more powerful, more clear way than ever before the reality of who you are and what you have done and what that will mean for us as we walk through this world and what our rightful expectation is in you according to your word. We ask this of you, good shepherd Jesus. And we thank you for walking our fellow disciple into the door at exactly the right moment, our brother Brandon. And all God's people said, Amen. The Apostle Paul and God the Holy Spirit's letter to the Colossians. The Colossian church is fairly small congregation. It's very close to Laodicea. Back to the close of this letter, Paul is going to say, make sure this also gets read in the church of Laodicea. But it is a core passage. You know, one of the things that has struck me over the years is the Lord will prompt me to teach things. And my wife and I have been listening to Christian radio for years and years. It's amazing how all of a sudden all these different preachers from all over the place are all talking about the same thing. 
Right now, I know of at least two guys on the radio with nationwide broadcast that are both teaching through Colossians. <laughs> Why? Because God the Holy Spirit is the shepherd. He is the pastor, which is what pastor means, shepherd. He's the pastor of the church. He's trying to get the message, the core message of Colossians out to the body because it's the orientation we need. And what our brother Brandon shared with us a few minutes ago from the Westminster Confession about the decrees of God. And frankly, folks, this is rough territory for most of the human race because we don't, are not comfortable. Let me put it that way. We're not comfortable with a God who says, I do all things. One of the things I am so grateful for is that simple statement that Jesus quotes in the Gospels from the book of Hosea. Thus says the Lord, I love mercy more than sacrifice, more than religiosity, more than the sacrifice. I, we have a God of mercy. And he tracked us. Why are you in the kingdom? Why am I in the kingdom? He tracked us down. Yes, he chose us before the foundation of the world, but that shows itself up in our timeline as he tracks us down, as I repeatedly reference it, as Jesus said, we are the lost sheep, the one out in the field after he's brought the 99 home, and he goes out and seeks the lost sheep, and he finds it and rejoices and throws us on his shoulders and brings us home rejoicing. That is your testimony. That's my testimony. That's the reality. If you're in the kingdom, it's because the shepherd sought you out. He gave you light and life. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. What does the Holy Spirit say? Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. <coughs> Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. 
Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to you, to, excuse me, to the Lord. <laughs> Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bonds servants what is just and fair knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Therefore, as the elect of God, you are God's favored ones. He picked you up and brought you home on his shoulders rejoicing. He is not asking anything of you that he does not do himself. Par excellence and far more, far more, far more than we ever could as the elect of God, as those chosen by God. The man crucified beside Jesus who had been cursing Jesus along with the other man suddenly stopped, rebuked the man on the other side of Jesus. We deserve what we're getting. This man has done nothing wrong. This man knows the truth about Jesus. We don't know what avenue that truth came to him, but he knows that Jesus is in fact the, the Lamb of God, the flawless, perfect Lamb of God. And he voices that this man has done nothing wrong. Then he says to Jesus, after having said to the other, we deserve what we're getting. That is a mouthful. He says to Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus' reply is, you will be with me this day, this day in paradise. And he was. What qualification did that man have to receive mercy? The same as you and me. He needed it. Every single member of the human race since the fall of man has needed mercy. Mercy is undeserved forgiveness. Undeserved forgiveness. It is the number one reality about the triune God that I love mercy. I love mercy. I love mercy. It is so contrary to us. Therefore, as the elect of God, those picked up and brought home on his shoulders rejoicing, you're in his flock, and you are holy. You will be with me this day in paradise. God took us from deserving, deserving, deserving the lake of fire. One of the realities about the creator God, ladies and gentlemen, is 
He is a God of mercy. He is a God of justice. He cannot be unjust. It is contrary to his character. He cannot be unjust. You either receive mercy or justice. God never overdoes any punishment. Which tells us a whole lot about holiness. As the elect of God. And you are holy. What does that mean? God sanctified you. The term saint, sanctified, holy are all the same word in the Greek text. God took you from a place of absolute stench in his nostrils to a place of welcome where he is standing over you going (sighs) he made you holy he took away all of your sins and added to us jesus own record of righteousness if any man is in christ he is a new creature old things have passed away behold all things have become new his righteousness has become our righteousness so that his father can happily throw his arms around us and welcome us. We are holy and beloved. God is happy, delighted in doing it. Don't ever doubt your welcome with the holy God. He made you holy. How much does God love us? He sent God the Son to pay sin's penalty for us. We will never, even in Personal conjecture, even in the unrestrained, in the time of the new Jerusalem, forever and ever and ever dwelling in his presence, I don't, we're not, I'm not omniscient, okay? Neither are you. We would have to be omniscient to be able to get our minds stretched enough that we could fully understand what our Lord Jesus Christ, what he endured and paying sin's penalty for us so that his Father could gladly welcome us. The Father loved us so much he sent the Son. The Son loved us so much he came. God the Holy Spirit loved us so much he sustained the entire process. And we are therefore demonstrative. We are chosen, we are holy, and we are loved. That's the reality about us. Therefore, how should that affect our outlook and our behavior? Ooh, put on tender mercies. God loves mercy. We too should love mercy and be glad to do it. I, God says, I love mercy. I love welcoming these stinky people into my presence who I have cleansed of their stench and the cause of their stench. I love, and we too, just as our brother here mentioned a few minutes ago, that they went, intentionally went out to share the gospel, but they deliberately brought things along with them that they could share with the homeless person. And the homeless person walked right up to them. God shepherded the whole process. That's called tender mercies. That's taking, that's going to cost us something. That's okay. It cost Jesus something when he went to the cross. Tender mercies, kindness 
Don't do it reluctantly. Do it gladly. Kindness, humility. Lord, but for your grace, that's where I would be. That's where I would be. One of the testimonies of, I can't, I'm about to say her name now, I can't say it, the gal from the Netherlands that went to, to Corey Tenboom. <laughs> Corey Tenboom, one of the two daughters of the Dutch jeweler that they, they rescued Jews. They got caught. Her father and her sister both died in concentration camps because of a uh, clerical mistake. She got released. I say mistake with quotes around it. Yeah, God got her out of there. After the war, she's touring Europe, speaking in churches about what God had done in sustaining her and others through this whole terrible time. And at the end of a service, this man from the back of the congregation gets up and starts walking to her, and she immediately recognizes him. He was the worst guard in the concentration camp. He abused, he was ridiculed, he was a terrible, terrible, terrible man. And he's walking up the aisle to her with a broad smile on his face, and she said, oh Lord, not him. And the Lord said, if not him, why you? And he walked up and told her how the Lord had led him into his mercy. And she's like, okay, Lord, okay, Lord, okay, Lord, okay, Lord. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, humble yourself. Meekness. Meekness is allowing the process to play out. It's not forcing things. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus there in, in, this, in the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount, he's actually quoting David from Psalm 37. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And if you read Psalm 37, it's all about the turmoil of David's life. But, God has, but he states this. What did David do? And you can read this life of David, especially the way he handled the torment coming to him from Saul, he walked meekly. He did not force anything. He didn't appoint himself king of Israel. God did. And God shepherded him to the throne as he walked in meekness. He did not force it. And so when he came to the throne, he had no apologies. We are likewise to walk in meekness. Allow God room to be the shepherd long-suffering, patience, long-suffering. Okay, I'm going to go through with my brother, with my sister. I'm going to go through the process with them. And that can take time. Had a wonderful testimony from our brother this morning in Sunday school. Yeah, since 1970, I've been in this book. I've been in this book. And now every time I open this book, God peels back another layer and well, our God is long-suffering. Our God suffers. Our, our God shepherds us and shepherds us and shepherds us into richer and richer and richer pasture. But He is long-suffering with us. He takes the time it takes. And I know you've heard this if you've been here. There is a 
outfit, a uh, horse training outfit up in Colorado, and I can never remember the guy's name, but it's one of the most famous ones in this nation. The motto of that horse training enterprise is, if you take the time it takes, it takes less time. If you go with the process slowly, you suddenly arrive at your destination. If you take the time it takes, it takes less time. Walk with meekness. Take the time it takes, and you will get there. If you try to force it, you'll blow things up and never arrive at your proper destination. Long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. Why? Because if you're hanging out with other sinners, you're going to mess with each other. Be ready to forgive. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, you got a complaint, you got go to that brother, address the issue, but be ready to forgive. Even as Christ forgave you. Okay, I'm raising the bar on you guys. Paul is saying to the Colossians, I'm raising the bar. See if you can match Jesus' forgiveness. When you match that, let me know. Uh, uh, as Christ forgave you. What did Jesus say from the cross? Annas and Caiaphas are at the foot of his cross, mocking him. They, they know he's Messiah. I'm telling you what, they knew who he was. They're mocking him. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Father, forgive them. The very men who engineered, humanly speaking, devil speaking, engineered his crucifixion. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Don't ever seek retribution. You back off and leave it in God's hands. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, A, this is already a pretty big <laughs> list. Put on love. Agape. Servant love. Servant love. Be ready to wash one another's feet. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. What was it that got the attention of the Roman Mediterranean world as the gospel spread and people are meeting together who have professed faith in Christ that Roman, the Roman world, the Greek world, was not about serving other people. <laughs> it was about how to get them to be your servants. It was about slavery, either in a formal or informal. It was about getting, it was about manipulating other people. No, you are to wash one another's feet. You're to work, act in love, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Be servants of one another in the deepest most profound way you can find and let the peace of god rule in your hearts to which you were called let the peace of god rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and so when there is a conflict when to set aside your rights be servants of one another. Be ready to forgive. 
Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. He's talking to them as a congregation. The your here is a plural your. He's talking to them as a congregation. Let the peace of God be existent between you, a reality between you, to which you were also called in one body. And if you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus stepping in with the apostles. Sometimes he has, you know, the apostles weren't always happy with each other. <laughs> they weren't always happy with Jesus. They were always asking Jesus, why are you doing this? Why are you do-? Well, I'll explain it to you. So he exercised his love and he shepherded them, but he also had to sometimes be the referee in their conflicts with one another. That the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were also called in one body and be thankful. Don't ever forget where you came from. Don't ever forget what God saved you out of and what he saved you to. Be thankful. Be thankful. We have, as a unique American holiday, we have Thanksgiving. What was Thanksgiving? What is the origin of that holiday, that holy day? Because the pilgrims that came which was a harrowing, it was only about a, at least a third of them died within the first couple weeks. They were rescued. God sent to their rescue to help them some local Indians. And then they were able to have, they learned from the Indians how to be farmers. And they had this wonderful harvest invited the Indians to come. And the, th- the original Thanksgiving celebration was several days, actually, and they enjoyed the harvest. They went out and shot some of those wild turkeys, and they, but they enjoyed, it was a time of harvest Thanksgiving, harvest celebration, giving thanks to God and thanks to the instruments that God had brought to them, whom God had sent to them, humanly speaking, to deliver them. And they were, but they were ultimately giving glory to God, which is what we are supposed to be celebrating it as even to this day, centuries later. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And I keep hearing these wonderful testimonies from our brother today and from others. Hey, the more I get into the word... And every time I think I'm pretty much getting a good handle on it, God peels back another layer. Dwell in the Word of God. This is where you, where you really live is in your mind, in your spirit, in your soul. This other stuff on the outside is extra. Your real dwelling place is in, your own, is in God's presence in your inner person. Let the Word of Christ find a home in you dwell in you richly so that people can come up and say, you know, I, I, I knew that old Brandon. The Brandon I'm looking at today is not the old Brandon. What in the world happened to you? And you can tell them, dwell in the Word of God. Dwell, live there. Make that your place of habitation. Dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Be Humble before God as he is the one who will open his word to you. 
and teach you, teaching and admonishing one another. Now, this shows up in your congregation. It shows up in the way you serve one another and dwell with one another. Let the word of God of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. As we are singing these hymns, as we're singing these choruses, this is a together time in the presence of our Lord. And we are to sing to one another. Why did you remember David? King Saul, the Spirit of God, had left Saul. When God anointed David in the secret of David's father's house, <laughs> the Holy Spirit left King Saul and came upon David, and King Saul was tormented. He was having real emotional difficulty and problems, and somebody in the one of the fellows in David's in uh, Saul's household, his court said, "Hey, I know of this young man who's really skilled at singing and harp playing. We will let's bring him into the court here and see if he can sedate Saul's soul." And this kid David was brought in, the eighth son of Jesse is brought in, and he's playing. He's playing on his harp and reciting songs. My understanding is they actually had the instrumental background, but they were actually reciting more than singing. But David was there, and it worked for Saul. He actually was having a real emotional benefit to King Saul. And singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as we are singing the why are these hymns that we're singing these songs that we're singing helpful because they're voicing the truth and we're doing that together and it strikes the eardrums of the angels and it strikes the eardrums of our god but it has a beneficial effect on all of us and that heartens us that heartens us that the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing <coughs> with grace in your hearts to the Lord, to the Lord. A psalm is typically a hymn of praise to God, and we're all in the audience. As well as singing it, we're hearing it. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Don't advertise yourself. Don't parade around. No, you are God's man. You are Christ's man. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Lord, whatever blessing there is that's dwelling in my life, that is part of my life experience, I know it comes from you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Be people who are thankful. Wives, speaking to them as a congregation. By the way, let me give you a little hint here. It's kind of the Greek language, in the Greek language, there's no such word as wife or husband. To communicate the idea of wife, she is his woman. The idea of uh, husband is she's his man. Her man his woman. Okay. Women. And if you look at the Greek text, it's women. 
submit to your own men as is fitting. Now, everybody understood husband and wife. They did have marriage. So it's not an inaccurate translation, but it's woman, submit to your own man, your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord in a way that is appropriate with your walk with Christ, as is fitting in the Lord. He's called you to this role. Husbands, love your wives. That doesn't mean your husbands you're supposed to parade around and make all kinds of... No, you love them, which means you are their servant leader. Servant leader. Believe me, in the Roman Greek world, leaders weren't... didn't think of themselves typically as servant leaders. No. The higher up I go in the pyramid, the more I got people that do that are going to obey me and serve me. And No, you're to be a servant leader. Our Lord Jesus Christ was a servant leader. We are to be servant leaders. Husbands, love your wives. In another place, Christ said, the Apostle Paul says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Oh, I've got to go through all this stuff just so I can meet her. Oh, man. So you, you turn that dissatisfaction, that temperament on her like she made you. Stop it. You asked her to marry you, right? <laughs> Love your wives. Do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. The Lord loves to see that obedient child. But now notice the next caution. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Don't ask of your children what is more than is righteous. And that can be a fault of being a father or a parent is demanding from your children what is really beyond their capacity or something more than you should be asking of them. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And I've seen that. We've all witnessed that. Where children, there's so much put on them by a parent or a coach, or a teacher, that they just can't live up to that. They just can't do it, and it becomes frustrating. And they finally throw in the towel and give up and walk away. Instead of that parent, or teacher, or coach being meek with them, taking the time it takes, they're forcing things, and they create failure and frustration. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters. And of course, slavery was a common thing in the Roman world. A large percentage of the Roman population was slaves. They were owned by other people. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, these humans, not with eye service as men pleasers, not just when they're watching, <laughs> but at all times. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Do it with sincerity. Do it. You know that if you're in this position, God can get you out of that anytime he wants. If you're still in that position, it's because God has you in that position so you can make a testimony. Very often, it was the slaves that led their masters in the Roman world, the slaves that led their masters to Christ. 
bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. He has placed you in this place to be a testimony. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Don't say, oh, he's asked for me to do this again. No, do it as if they're Jesus. Do it heartily as if to God, not to men. Folks, this is so contrary to human nature. It requires the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to generate this behavior. It is a, when the servant, when the slave does this, obeys the master with this kind of a spirit, that gets the master's attention. But it is also clearly, it even gets the slave's attention because this isn't me, this isn't me, this isn't me, this is God in me. If it was up to me, I'd be doing as little for this fellow as I possibly could. But Jesus is the opposite. knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Your ultimate resting place is in the presence of God. And what will God do for you? He will pour out heaven's blessings on you. You will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. When serving that man, you're actually serving Jesus. But he who does wrong... There is a warning here. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there's no partiality. God is, if you want justice, if you're going to not do what I'm saying to you, God will pay attention and you'll get his justice. You don't want justice. You want mercy. You want blessing. Don't choose justice. But God, as our Father, he doesn't set the paddle aside. No, if necessary. As a good father, our father will use the paddle. And can I think we can say with united voice, I don't want that? Okay. Masters, give your, give your bond servants what is just and fair. Now, one of the things to remember, many say, by the way, in the book of Leviticus, they had slavery in ancient Israel. Now, it was always temporary, unless you gave yourself to them for a lifetime. That was a possibility laid out there in Leviticus. But give to your bondservants what is just and fair. Be just, be fair with them, knowing, oh, by the way, you are a bondservant. Earlier in Colossians, he calls us, he addresses to the bondservants of Jesus Christ. We are bondservants of Christ. We belong to him. He paid our ransom. He brought us into his kingdom. We are heirs, but we are also to be servants of one another and of him. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You've got these people who are answering to you. You also have a master to whom you will answer. So he's addressing in chapter 3, verse 18, through chapter 4, verse 1, he's addressing all of these different groups of people, types of people, culturally, that are, gonna, that are there in the congregation, and how they need to, in Christ, in his provision, by his wisdom, 
treat one another, both inside the congregational meeting and outside. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it comes down to reality in life. But where did he start? As the elect of God, holy, separated unto God, and beloved by him, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. It all starts with, who does God say you are? God saw you, this wretched waif, on the side of the street, and he picked you up in his arms and brought you home and made you one of his children, one of his heirs. He seated you, waif, from the side of the street. He seated you at the head table. You are his. You are his. He has made every provision to you that you need to walk in this hostile environment as replicas of him. We are to be godly, godlike. We're to be imitators of him. That's what we're being called to by the Holy Spirit through this letter. We all need help <laughs> to do that. Our Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> help. May we be men and women who dwell in your word, who dwell in your word, who dwell in your wisdom, who are instructed in our spirits, in our souls, to be replicas of you. And may we walk that out in every, in every relationship and at every opportunity. That is a Holy Spirit work through us. We ask for your enabling power to do that this week. In your name, Good Shepherd Jesus, we pray, ever with us. Amen.